You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from Pastor Lee Mason. We were gathered here for Good Friday, and one of the things I want to just, we we call this Good Friday, a lot of people sometimes will go, why is it called Good Friday? Because something, you know, very tragic happened on this day, or in some ways, we, at least one side of it would say this was very tragic, but the, the word Good Friday actually, is, the word good is an English word for good, and the word actually means holy or sacred, so you understand this as being Holy Friday, or Sacred Friday, and we understand that as, uh, we, we approach this day understanding that what was done on this Friday in the life of Jesus was a very sacred and a very holy thing. And I want to look at this account as we've read already from the Gospel of Mark. And when we read the Gospel of Mark, it's a, it's a, they think that probably the Gospel of Mark was the first gospel ever written. It was written by a man named John Mark, who was a protege, a disciple of Peter. He actually wasn't one of the original 12, but he was really close with Simon Peter. And they understood the gospel, that, that John, that Mark rather wrote his gospel. Um, while Peter was alive, he's recollecting some of the things from Jesus, and he's writing to Christians predominantly that are in Rome, that are being persecuted for their faith and are beginning to get concerned about some of the things that are going on with Nero and what may be happening. And John opens his gospel in John chapter 1, verse 1, and he just says real simply, I write these things that you may know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The Son of God. Now, the Messiah was a concept that came out through the Old Testament. Obviously, it was the hope of Israel's Savior and Redeemer who would redeem the world. And we sometimes think, when we think Son of God, who do we think of always? We think of Jesus. But you may find this interesting to know that in those days, when you said Son of God, no one thought of Jesus. No one thought of Jesus as the Son of God. In fact, the word, the term Son of God doesn't arise from the Bible. It's not a Bible word. It's not in the Old Testament anywhere. Uh, The Son of God has his origins in the Greek and the Roman world. And and let me just tell you real quickly how this came about, how this idea of the Son of God actually came about in history. Uh, The Greeks practiced a uh, procession, a ceremony called a triumph. Whenever a... um, general would win a great battle or whenever an emperor would have a great conquest or whenever an emperor was coming into power for the first time, they would do a ceremony called a triumph. Now the ceremony of the triumph took on a a great new meaning in the ancient world in 20 BC. And let me tell you the background of what happened. This was during the Roman Empire was coming about, uh, we know in the middle of of the 50 BC, there was a great conflict in Rome. It was a rising, powerful empire. 
But there was a conflict between uh, a side, Julius Caesar, who wanted Rome to become an emperor and an, an imperial empire where he was the leader of it all. And there was those, you know, Brutus and Cassius particularly, who wanted Rome to remain a republic. And they had a conflict and they had a civil war and a battle and Julius Caesar won. And for five years, he reigned as the emperor of Rome. And we know from Shakespeare, if nothing else, that uh, Julius Caesar was actually murdered by his advisors, uh, chief among them being a guy named Brutus who murdered him. And Julius had an adopted son named Octavian. And Octavian wanted to succeed and continue the legacy of his dad. So he came into power and there was a lot of conflict going on in Rome, the civil war for several years. There was um, Octavian and Mark Anthony who were against Brutus and, and Cassius. And eventually they fought a major battle. And in that battle, the forces that were with Octavian and Mark Anthony won. They prevailed. And Brutus and Cassius knew their, their time was up. They both committed suicide. And it was all over. And so from then on, the Roman Empire became an empire run by an emperor. And Caesar Augustus became emperor. Mark Anthony took the Egyptian uh, empire. They kind of split the kingdom. Mark Anthony fell for Cleopatra and he blew it. And uh, anyway, and eventually what happened is Caesar Augustus gained control of the whole known world. The Roman Empire came to great power. And that was in 27 BC. And so what, what Octavian did, he changed his name to Caesar Augustus. And what he did is he built a huge temple and he built it to the god Mars, who was the god of revenge and the god of war. And so if you would go through this long, uh, walkway he would go through, and, and it would, at the very end of the walkway was a temple he made to the uh, Mars, the god of war. And they did this ceremony that they got from the Greeks. It was called a triumph. And what would happen is they would take a purple robe that was on in God. Usually it would be the Roman god Jupiter, who was supposed to be the great god. And they would take this purple robe and they would put it on the Caesar. And the people that would put it on with a Praetorian guard, that was the elite guard of the Romans. There was always a, a group of 200 of them. When they came together, it was a very powerful elite group. And they put the robe on the, on the emperor and then they would put a laurel wreath on his head. And that laurel wreath was symbolic of something. There was a god in the, in the Roman pantheon called Nike. And Nike, it would, would come to you, and if you please Nike, and you had the support of the gods, this god Nike would come and he would hold a laurel wreath and place it on your head. And what that meant is if you had this laurel wreath from Nike resting on your head, it meant you had the unwavering support of the gods. That whatever you did, you were going to conquer and you were going to prevail. And then after clothing the, the emperor in purple and putting the, the, the wreath, the, the crown on his head, the, the guard, the patron guard would then lead him out in a processional. But during this processional, the people would cheer and adulate and, and they would just, you know, just praise and hail the emperor as he went on the way. And he would come to these steps and he would walk up to this exalted place and with him, during this procession, they would have a bull being carried. 
The bull would be carried, and with the bull, there would be an instrument of execution, usually a big sword or a double-edged axe, and they would pick somebody out of the crowd to carry this instrument of execution. And as they came up to the place, they would sacrifice this bull. And when they sacrificed this bull, this was symbolic of the, the death of a deity that was going to resurrect in the being of this emperor. And the emperor would, would, uh, would then come and he would stand before the people. And, and one of the last things he, they would do is they would give this emperor in this triumphal procession, they would give him a cup of wine. And he would take the wine, but he would refuse to drink it. He would actually pour it out on the earth. And then the people would praise him and they would celebrate him for a long period of time. And then at the end of this whole triumph procession that would go on for a few hours... One of the guards, one of the Roman patron guards, would declare that this emperor was the son of God. And what that meant is that the gods had come to live within him, have lived with inside him, and he was God's answer for the human race. That's who he was. And so when Mark is writing to this audience... He is telling them, I want you to understand, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, but he is also the Son of God. He is the one whom God has invested salvation for the entire human race and the entire planet. And so when Mark is writing about the history of Jesus, and he's writing about this pitiful moment that we're remembering this night, Good Friday, the crucifixion of Christ, he does some, something that we'll find kind of remarkable. And if you were a Roman citizen back in 50 AD and you're reading this for the first time from Mark, you would have read the story of the crucifixion and you would have gotten a point Mark was making from it that, that we might be able to get now. Let's look again at what was read earlier and look at this in Mark chapter 15. We'll start with verse 16. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and together the whole and called together the whole company of soldiers. Again, in a Roman triumph, when an emperor is to be declared the Son of God, it begins with this group of soldiers, this elite group of soldiers that were the, the emperor's soldiers, the elite. There were 200 of them there for that weekend because of the Jewish Passover. The, we know that they were scared of a riot, and so they were camping at this place, and there was 200 of them there. And Jesus begins there with them. The next verse, in verse 17, and they put a purple robe on him, and they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. So again, we're seeing the next step of this triumph, of this declaration that an emperor is the son of God. They're putting the purple robe on him, and they're putting a wreath on his head. Verse 18, and they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. And again and again, they struck him on the head and on the, with a staff and spit on him, and falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. Again, in a Roman triumph, this is what would happen. 
the soldiers would put the purple robe on, they would put the crown on, and then they would pay homage and they would bow down to the emperor who is to be declared the son of God. They go on in verse 21 as they're walking down this procession. We know the story that Jesus was walking, carrying the cross, the weight of the cross, and all. He fell exhausted. And what did they do? They picked a bystander out of the crowd to carry the instrument of death, to carry the cross on which Jesus would be executed. And he put it over his shoulder, and he walks down with him. Verse 22 says, They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. In the Roman uh, area on, on Mars where they would do the, uh, they would have this procession would be culminated. Uh, when they were actually going to build the temple there, when they started the project, they went up there and they were going to the hills and they were beginning to dig around. They found a human head, which is very strange. And so they called this place Head Hill, the hill of the head. And later they began to believe that's why it was called the Capitol, is because that came from there. Again, Jesus is being crucified in a place called the place of the skull. Then we read on in verse 23, and then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did what? He didn't take it. He refused it. He was offered the wine, and just in the emperor's ceremony, he pours it out. He doesn't take it. And as we read on here, again, there's more mockery and from the crowd that goes on for a while. We get to verse 39. Verse 37 says, with a loud voice, Jesus breathed his last breath. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And there was a centurion who stood there in front of Jesus. And when he saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was what? The Son of God. Now, Mark is here saying something very audacious and very profound and very nuanced and very odd to say back in that day. He is telling Christians in Rome that the Messiah, Jesus, is the Son of God. That everything the world believes Caesar would be, the embodiment of God, the embodiment of the divine, the one through whom God would bring salvation to the earth was not true of him. It was true of this crucified Jewish son of a carpenter who they had come to believe in. What an audacious thing to say. How does God become the king of the world? How does God, how would God bring salvation to a world? How would a being that was omnipotent and omniscient and all-present and who brought everything to being with his, with his breath and with a word, how would he salvage and save and redeem humanity? Would he do it through a display of power? Would he do it by the force of who he was, of what he had? Or would he do it by dying? Would he do it by sacrificing himself? 
Would he do it by removing and taking away the sin of humanity? Would he do it by a display of love instead of a display of coercion? And this is what Mark is saying here in this, this gospel. Jesus Christ did not become son of God by an act of power, not by an act of popularity of being adulated by the people around him. He did it by suffering and by dying and by lowering himself. And this is the call to, to every one of us here is to believe in this gospel. Not to believe in a gospel or a message of a, of a, of a political power abused and coerced and asserted of people. But believe in salvation that comes through a God of love, through a being of, of power and might and brilliance, but who becomes human, suffers and dies you and I might be clean and free and united with him. And that's what, that's what we're celebrating today on this good, this sacred, this holy Friday. We're, present, we're celebrating the moment when God became king, when this world became his again, when he shed his blood on a cross to cleanse you and I of our sins that we might be free. And what Mark is saying here is the proof of the credibility of these claims is what we experience today. We celebrate who as the son of God? Caesar Augustus? Cassius? Nero? Any of the Roman emperors in the past who claimed to be a son of God or anybody else in history? There's only one person in all of history who claims the title Son of God. And he was a crucified Jewish preacher. And I want to just encourage you today, if you've not received him as Lord and Savior, if you've not experienced the salvation he brings, I encourage you to do that. Receive him as Lord. Receive him as Savior and King. And if you're a Christian here today, and I want to encourage you, man. Jesus Christ is Son of God, the Messiah. He is the embodiment of, of God's salvation to the human race. To the human race. That is who he is. And that today is who and what we're celebrating. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just we thank you for this, this incredible depiction of Mark, of Jesus Christ as Messiah, as the Son of God. He said that to a world that was tyrannized by a rulers and emperors who claimed to be the Son of God, who claimed to be divine and that they were actually the ones who were going to bring salvation to the planet. Father, we can look today and look back at 2,000 years of history and 
Whereas people might be tempted back then to laugh at the thought of this crucified carpenter actually being the son of God. Today we laugh at the claims of the Caesars. We laugh at the claim of the great powers of the past. Today we celebrate and we hail and we exalt and revere the true Son of God, Jesus Christ. Because for 2,000 years you have been the one who has brought salvation to humanity. And Lord, I pray for those here who may not have ever experienced that salvation as they would tonight. They would see the wonder of the cross of you being crucified for the sins of your people that we might be free. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.